So let me just kind of bring awareness and a little bit of review for those who are just catching up. Uh, We spent one week talking about the cornerstone commitments, the progressive commitments that Jesus takes disciples through throughout the Gospels. If you, didn't, if you missed that sermon, go check it out. Uh, CastleRockAdvents.church slash sermons, okay? Uh, we spent a couple of weeks talking about how to actually abide in the Word. We spent a week talking about how to abide in prayer. We spent a week talking about how to abide in the upper room, actually beholding Jesus. Um, and so all of those things were habits that, that really feed into this idea of seeking God. Because really, what we're about is making passionate followers of Christ who seek God, share life, Does anybody know the third one? Serve the world. Oh, man. I'll say this every week until we can say it all together. Uh, This is what we're about. We want to develop followers of Jesus Christ who seek God, share life, and serve the world. So all of those habits have been talking about seeking God. Over the last few weeks, we've been talking about sharing life, what it is to abide in community. Last week, how to guard community. And then this week, uh, we're talking about intergenerational community. Try to say that 10 times fast, right? Intergenerational community. Yeah. And so today we're focusing on a community or a dynamic of community that happens all the time. There are intergenerational interactions all the time. However, it requires intentionality and effort for those intergenerational connections to really be meaningful and positive. Today is something that maybe we we can take for granted, but I really want to pray as we enter into this study because it can really uh, it can really speak life to a church family. So let's let's pray together. Father in heaven, once again we're we're approaching your throne of grace. We've been abiding in your presence, and uh, we are just asking for a special measure of your Holy Spirit to instruct, to inform, but also to inspire and to transform. God, please. Answer the prayer of Jesus from John 17. Sanctify them through thy truth. Your word is truth. Lord, please set us apart by the power of your word. May the things that we study be something that translates into everyday living. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, come with me to the book of Acts. We've been spending a lot of time there in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 20. And we're going to take a look at um, Paul, because Paul was an example of someone who, who cultivated intergenerational community. Okay? In Acts chapter 20, by the time we catch up to Paul in Acts 20, this is like Paul's third, yeah, I think it's his third missionary tour. All right? Paul has uh, just rounded the corner from Ephesus, where he started a riot. Okay? Um, he's come to Greece now, where people are now plotting to kill him. And now he's just kind of making his way back to his hometown, or at least his home church in Antioch. And so we're going to begin in Acts chapter 20, verse 7. If you're there, go ahead and say, Amen. Amen. All right, Acts 20, verse 7. I'm reading from the New King James Bible today. And the Bible says this in verse 7. Now, on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread. I love that. Paul is always about food with people. Okay? And this is something characteristic of the early church. They're, they're always looking for opportunities, but especially for Paul. He's running from a riot. People are plotting to kill him in other cities. He's looking for opportunities to be around people that I can actually share community with him. And in the rest of verse 7, it says, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. 
And I don't know if you know this, but they teach us in seminary to really look at this as a prescriptive model for how to... Everybody bring their sleeping bags tonight. No, okay. Okay. (laughs) Um, So he spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. Very interesting word there, spoke to them. Uh, It's actually the word for uh, the Greek word that we get the English word dialogue from. So this isn't just about like one person do, do monologue. This is, this is a discussion. I don't know what kind of deep theological things they're talking about. But they're, they're talking together. They're edifying one another. And apparently Paul has a message himself he wants to bear even through the wee hours of the night. In verse 8, it says, There were many lamps in the upper room where they were gathered together. Right? It's getting late. So lots of lamps in the upper room. These are not just like your... Uh, uh, floor lamps or you know electricity kind of thing this is gas powered right oil powered and it says that there were many lamps in the upper room where they were gathered together so you get the idea that this room is a little bit stuffy okay it's dark it's stuffy there's there's heat generating from these lamps and then notice this in verse 9 and in a window seat sat a certain what kind of person young man the word there can easily be translated as young adult. This is some, someone between the ages of 15 and 35, okay? Um, it, yeah, it is quite, quite a range, okay? <laughs> In a window sat a certain young man named, what's his name? Can you guys say it? Eutychus, Eutychus. The, the literal translation of his name is good destiny, Good destiny. Like you, you hear of euphoria or euphoric. You, it's good. Eutychus, referring to his destiny or his purpose. So this is a young man with a good destiny. And notice what, what is happening to him in verse 9. Who was sinking into a deep sleep. Mm. He was overcome by sleep. Has that ever happened? You're fighting with sleep and sleep wins. Has that ever happened? the lecture you're at work you're in a classroom Derek's like nodding is it <laughs> of course not in uh senior Benave's class <laughs> but uh but here he's overcome by he's trying he's trying really really hard he's overcome by sleep and as Paul continued speaking he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead oh man it's a sad story. It's a tragic story. And don't think about it too long and like, oh man, that could totally happen. No, don't think about that too long, okay? Um, but really, like, get, get the emotion of This is a tragedy right here. There's a young person who's got like all this life ahead of him. He's trying to be with the body of believers, but the only seat he finds is on the fringes. He's trying to be with the body, but the only seat he or she finds is on the fringes. Is this a story that we, we see repeated or have seen repeated, or even have experienced ourselves. It's a story of a person, a young person, who attempts so hard to fend off spiritual slumber, and yet is overcome, no matter how hard he tries. It's a story of disengagement, even though he's trying and trying and trying. Do we know that story? And I want to put this story on pause just for a little bit, because I want us to see something about Paul Paul is going is to jump to the rescue in just a moment. And the reason is this, because young people with good destiny, <laughs> young people are important to the Apostle Paul. Young people are important to the Apostle Paul. And you pick this up in his articulation of the gospel. Like when he's ref- re- like refining the implications of the gospel. We read some of it last week. 
He's, refining the, he's defining the implications of the gospel in terms of the household. He says, husbands, love your wives. Parents, uh, you know, respect your children. Don't, don't embitter them towards you. Children, obey your parents. Paul has in mind, when he's preaching the gospel, he, he sees the implications of the gospel affecting intergenerational relationships. See, the power of the gospel shapes how families interact. The power of the gospel shapes how families love well and how they invest in each other. And I would say families, not just biological families, but families of faith. Do you understand what I mean? I'm broadening the implication of of that just a little bit. More than just encouraging parents to value their children, I believe that when we look at Paul's example throughout the New Testament, he actually models and exemplifies how the New Testament church family, if you will, values its younger generations. You think about this, you pay close attention to Paul's ministry, everywhere Paul goes, it seems like he's got a young person under his wing. You know, his first missionary tour, Paul and Barnabas, they were about to go, they were sent out, but then they had this bright idea, let's take young John Mark with us, right? Even though he didn't last very long on that tour, I don't know if you know that story, maybe we'll we'll, uh, do a sermon on that sometime. But there were times where Paul, if it wasn't John Mark, it was Timothy, if it wasn't Timothy, it was someone else. You know, Paul, when he's going about ministry, he values this. He's, he's modeling something that the New Testament church family ought to really value. It's younger generations. I think Paul was simply reflecting the value that Jesus himself communicated, right? Matthew 19, let the little children come unto me and forbid them not. Meaning that there are tendencies to forbid and put barriers to our young people. Jesus is, is, is the one who, who is modeling this. Paul is extending it. But all of this is not new to the New Testament. This is Old Testament stuff too. I don't know if you realize, I mean, this is one of my favorite verses that kind of just helped me understand how to, how to take leadership, spiritual leadership in my household. This is Deuteronomy 6 from the message uh, paraphrase. It says, write these commandments that I've given you today where? on your hearts, right? Get them inside of you and then get them inside your children. I love how that's put, right? It's not just about you and your relationship with God. It's how you're cultivating that relationship for your kids too. Talk about them wherever you are, sitting at home or walking in the street. Talk about them from the time you get up in the morning to when you fall into bed at night. Really powerful stuff. I mean, this is right from the mouth of Moses as he's just saying, hey, this is so important. It's not just important for you. It's important to the generation after you. And like this is specifically in the household, you know, in, in the, the biological family. But notice how Psalm, the psalmist in Psalm 71 kind of extends that to generations. He says this, Since my youth, God, you have taught me, and to this day I declare your marvelous deeds. Even when I am old and gray, do not forsake me, my God, till I declare your power to who? The next generation your mighty acts to all who are to come. You see, it wasn't just that Jesus was was revealing something brand new, saying, hey, let the little children come. You should value the kids. No, that wasn't something brand new. This is something from Old Testament times, eternity past. This is the heart of Jesus. This is the heart of God. Till, Till I declare your power to the next generation. I love that. I mean, you think about this. I don't know if you realize this. The Levites... You know, the people who were ministering in the household of God, the the earthly temple or tabernacle there. Uh, You find the prescription is for Levites to serve until they're 50 years old, and then they would be granted retirement. 
That's pretty awesome. George, can we work that out? I mean, like, with the... <laughs> Anyways, but they were granted retirement, but even still, they were encouraged to stick around the temple so that they would mentor the younger Levites, the younger servants in the house of the Lord. Um, you look at the example of Abraham. Abraham invests in his nephew, Lot. You know, you look at the example of, of all of these, these instances in the Old Testament where the next generation is super important. Moses, he has a Joshua, right? All of these things. Because young people, the next generation is important to the heart of God. But see, there's a crisis today. I don't know if you're aware of this. We, uh, there's been a lot of research lately that reveals to us that the story of Eutychus young people on the fringes falling to death through slumber, um, that that story is being oft-repeated. You know, I think about my peers uh, throughout my college years, uh, prior to that, you know, in high school, being surrounded by a community of faith, going to youth groups and stuff, but then, you know, years after, a decade or so after, just kind of looking back and wondering how many of them are still around. You know, there's, there's some pretty alarming Research. Uh, the Barna Group several years ago published some of their research regarding young adults, millennials. And the phrase that they described uh, millennials with is that they are spiritually homeless. Spiritually homeless. It's kind of sad to me. But let me just kind of pull a quote from, from one of the, the publications. It says, in fact, between high school and turning 30, 43 of these once active millennials, in other words, millennials who were connected to church prior to their, uh, prior to their, their uh, late teen years, 43% of these once active millennials drop out of regular church attendance. That amounts to 8 million 20-somethings who have, for various reasons, given up on church or Christianity. That's tragic, right? I don't know if you feel the same emotional sense of, of fatality there. To lose 8 million, 43%, almost one out of every two, that is something that we should not be okay with. You know, and this, this is about uh, Christianity generally. Uh, there's actually, Barna Group actually helped the Adventist church understand how, how its interactions are with Adventist young people too. And, and the, the statistics are very similar. We can't be okay with this. We can't just let Eutychus after Eutychus fall to their death and act as though church will go on. The research, I would say, though tragic and sobering, is also very hopeful. So I don't know if I included this on the the slide. Okay, so here is, at the end of that publication, it says, Our team learned that millennials are more willing to be challenged than most church leaders are willing to challenge them. There's an eagerness there. Come on. Come on, just call me up. Put me in, coach, you know? It means inviting them into the Christian community as valued members of that community to create a new, courageous sense of home so that they're not spiritually homeless. Oh, man. Ah. Paul understood that the church is... It's... It runs on. It's vital, vital to the, the well-being of the church at large is intergenerational relationships. Uh, the olders, so to speak, investing in the youngers, those with more experience, investing in those with less experience. This is the kind of thing that I believe God wants to be revived 
in these days. When you think about the very last few verses of the Old Testament, it says that, the, behold, Elijah will come. I don't, know if I, have a, I don't think I have a slide for this. It's in Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. It says, Elijah will come. The spirit of Elijah will come. And it says that he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the children to the fathers. What does that mean? There will be happier homes at the end of time? I pray so. But more than that, when God's people are truly moving towards the end, there will be a heart turn intergenerationally, so to speak, where the generation of the fathers will turn and say, you are valued members to the next generation. And the next generation will also turn. They won't be distancing themselves. And they'll be looking to the older generation saying, I need you just as much as you need me. Do you follow that? That's a picture of the Old Testament. It's a prophecy of the end time church. I believe God wants to fulfill that prophecy today. Paul understood this, and he was intentional about encouraging biological fathers to invest in their biological children. But he was also about modeling the role of a spiritual father by taking under wing those who are of less experience. So let's go back, go back to Acts chapter 10. I'm sorry, Acts chapter 20. And notice what Paul does in the light of this tragedy where a young person falls to his death. So again, in verse 9, it says, this is Acts chapter 20, verse 9, in a new window seat, sorry, in a window sat a certain young man named Eutychus who was sinking into a deep sleep. He was overcome by sleep, and as Paul continued speaking, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. And then in verse 10, but Paul, okay? Paul doesn't just say, ah, his, his seat will be f- uh, filled sometimes. <laughs> no, no. Paul, it says, but Paul went down, fell on him, and embracing him said, do not trouble yourselves, for his life is in him. He was speaking faith. He was speaking confidence. Verse 11, now when he had come up, had broken bread and eaten and talked a long while, even till daybreak, he departed, and they brought the young man in alive. And they were not a little comforted. Do you understand what that means? It wasn't just a little bit that they were comforted. It was a lot of bit comforted, okay? (laughs) They were not a little comforted. This is powerful. Paul, the guy who models what it's like for intergenerational relationships to be meaningful and impactful. I want us to look at his, his example for just a moment here because I believe just in these very three actions that this is a prescription for intergenerational community to be real. Okay? Notice it. But Paul went down. What else did he do? He fell on him. And then the third thing, embracing him. Said, do not trouble yourselves for his life is in him. All right, this is powerful. Okay, so let's take a look at this. And, and, and as we apply this, you know, I'm going to apply this not just to um, uh, olders investing in youngers in terms of age, okay? I mean, I'm going to apply this also to those who are more seasoned in the faith, investing in those who are less seasoned in the faith, no matter the, the, the literal age. Do you, do you follow what I mean by that? Yeah? Because we may have... Uh, a, a millennial who is actually more seasoned in the faith than, than a baby boomer who, who is uh, investing in church. I think we, we can follow that. So well, w- however you want to apply this, I think there are some 
amazing implications here. So Paul went down, okay? So the first thing that if we're wanting to, to foster this kind of intergenerational community, it requires being intentional, okay? Be intentional. Paul went down. He stopped his sermon. Whoa, 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 whoa. We, we need to do something different than our present course of action. He was willing to interrupt what his current agenda was. And he took the initiative to go down. He didn't wait for someone to bring Eutychus up. He didn't wait for Eutychus to come up. Okay. He, he was intentional. He took initiative. And I would even say this, that him going down is almost a revelation of the gospel itself. Think about it. We fell <laughs> from grace, right? We fell from our stance as sons and daughters of, of God. And we said, no, we're, we are, we're taking part in rebellion. But Jesus went down. Okay, when Paul went down, it's a revel- this is an incarnational gospel picture. He went down. Paul had to redirect his priorities and intentionally invest himself in the well-being of this man. As a church family, if we're wanting to foster intergenerational community, it's not just going to pop up because we think about it. It's going to happen as we act upon it, as we intentionally redirect the way we are currently doing church, the way we are currently experiencing community, if that has resulted in 43% of young adults to drop off, and I expect to keep doing the same thing, hoping that percentage will somehow tip, no, 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 that's, that's, that's not going to work. We've got to do something different. So I think one, it starts with being intentional, being intentional. So Paul went down, but when he went down, what did he do? He fell on him. Now, I'm not saying go smother our young adults or go smother your, uh, you know, our new believers or whatever. What I'm saying is we need to be invested and involved, present, proximal, close, in proximity, contact, regular and consistent engagement, involvement in their lives, not just seeing them for 20 minutes once a week. It's too easy to be aware of people at a distance and then to form conclusions about what's going on in their lives. Uh, What's going on in their lives that may be actually far from the truth. It takes effort to take interest in people. It takes effort to take interest in people, especially especially if that person has actually fallen out, so to speak. Especially if that person has has fallen to sleep. So be involved. Fall on people. Get uh, I don't know if it, referring to the way Jesus, like when he found the disciples on the Sea of Galilee, he actually got into Peter's boat. I love that picture. In Luke chapter 5, he actually got into the boat. Get in people's boats. Get in people's boats. And then you can launch into the deep with them. So he was intentional. He was involved. And then this last one is he was interested. When Paul went down and fell on him, uh, this word here is very interesting. It, it mean, it, it, the word we hear in English is embracing him said this. But the Greek word literally means to understand thoroughly. To understand completely. So, I mean, you think about this. You can embrace someone physically, but do you really embrace someone emotionally and sympathetically? Do you understand that person completely? Have you ever felt that way? When someone is, is so aware of you, not just like from a judgmental stand, but, but, but actually understands you. Like that is an amazingly warm feeling of belonging. Like someone understands you completely and is still holding you. That's, that's the Father right there. That's God. He knows everything about you and still loves you. <laughs> 
He knows everything about me, and I would even say, still likes me. What in the world? This is what Paul did. He embraced him. He thoroughly understood him. I mean, obviously, he was doing this in a physical, in a physical sense, but, but the word itself is pointing to something much more deep, to understand young adults, to understand new believers, to understand those with less experience a little bit more than we currently do. You see, it's not about just being interesting. It's about being interested. Some of us, we, we think, oh, man, this, this person needs a, a mentor, but I'm not very cool, <laughs> you know? Or uh, this person needs some help, but I, I really don't have very much experience. I'm, I, I don't know if they'd really, you know, give me an audience, so to speak. But you, uh, in your attempts to invest in someone else, don't be so self-conscious about being interesting. Just take the initiative to show interest. Do you follow? Yeah? Uh, if you're thinking about someone at work, um, or if you're thinking about a neighbor and you're like, man, I, I really want to share the gospel with them, but I don't really feel like I have much to offer. No, don't worry about what they're going to get from you. Ask yourself what you can give to them in terms of interest and investment. It's not, don't worry about being interesting. Just be interested. Just be interested. <clears throat> and so here's, here's Paul. He was intentional. He was involved. He was interested. When we embrace young people, it means that we also uh, embrace them, hold them. We, we almost, we, we take ownership of them, so to speak. I remember uh, at a previous church in, in California, something that communicated so much to me. I was an associate pastor at a very large church, and there were eight constituent churches for one academy. And uh, the school board chair just happened to be the, uh, uh, a deacon at our church. And, and when he would get up to talk about the school, he would always say this about the school. These are our kids. These are our kids. Like even if we only had like five of our own church kids going to this school, he would talk about the school as our kids. In other words, as a leader, he was a he was the board uh, board chair. He he would communicate a sense of ownership. Like no 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 don't don't just say those are someone else's kids. That's that church's kids. That's that family's kids. That's their problem. <laughs> no no no, that's my kid too. <laughs> because we're part of a community. Because we're interconnected. When, when there are intergenerational relationships, these are our kids. Show acceptance. When we're showing interest, show acceptance, even of their faults and missteps. Embracing young people, embracing new believers means that we include them in meaningful roles too. And the results of this, when we see Paul do this, he goes down, he falls in him, embraces him and says, do not trouble yourselves for his life is in him. I love the fact that verse 12 comes up and it says, they brought the young man in alive and they were not a little comforted. The message paraphrases it like this. On that note, they left. Paul going one way, the congregation another, leading the boy off alive and full of life themselves. Amen. You catch that man. <laughs> I remember being in high school and um, someone gave me an opportunity to preach at my home church. And I remember feeling so scared <laughs> and so like, yeah, knees knocking. It was a good thing there was a really big pulpit. But I remember afterwards just the feeling of seeing smile after smile of older adult coming to me, embracing me, shaking my hand and saying, you know, I, I don't exactly know what they said, but just the affirmation of knowing that they were seeing a young person who was wanting to contribute, and that brought them life too. 
okay? Uh, and you probably know that feeling too. When you see young people invested and involved, man, that is momentum building, right? And this church experienced it. That congregation was full of life themselves. That's what happens when there are intergenerational relationships, when there's an investment, intentional. Uh, what, what were they? They were intentional. <laughs> they were involved. They were interested. And this brings life to the next generation. It's powerful. Let me ask you a, a question to our youngers, okay? The youngers in our midst today. Would you welcome olders who are intentional, involved, and interested in your life? Yes or no? Yeah, yeah, there's a thumbs up back there. Their head's nodding here. Man, th- this is real. This is real. This, I believe, is something that God wants to do in our midst today. And that has been my experience too. You know, as a young person, I remember that, that God brought godly adults at critical times in my life. And I can look back and say it was because of this person that I was converted. It was because of this person that I felt called to ministry. It's because of this person that I'm still connected to the body of Christ today. Because there were godly adults who invested in me. I believe God wants to experience that and just revive that in our midst. And I want to, you know, this is not just about olders taking the initiative to be involved and interested and invested in all these kinds of things. No, I want to I just make a practical appeal to our youngers too, okay? That when we see this, the practical appeal of the Eutychus story is stay away from the window. Okay, <laughs> simple as that. Stay away from the window. No, let me, let me talk a little bit about this. What, what, is, what does that mean? How do we, okay, how do we avoid the window seat then? How do we avoid the window seat? Let me just share three things for our youngers to take note of. Moving from the window seat. Maybe you're there right now. Maybe you're fending off slumber as we speak, Okay. <clears throat> Don't worry, we're not going until midnight, okay? So, moving from the window. Youngers, how do we do this? First of all, be present. Be present. And, and let me say this. Be present on purpose, okay? Don't just show up to show up, but be present on purpose. Whether they're gatherings for worship, whether they are small groups, whether it's outreach, recreation, whatever, be there. Be there. And be there on purpose. Because when you're present... I'm sorry, be there, not just because it's expected, not just because it's routine, not just because, just because um, you still live with someone that wants you to be there. No, <laughs> be there so you can engage. It's because when you are present, it brings life to the church. Be there so that you can contribute. And that's the next one. Be present, but be a producer. Be a producer. In other words, look for ways to give. Look for ways to contribute. Look for ways to actually impact the present course of things. If there's something that you're not really appreciative of, don't just, don't just distance yourself from it. Don't just criticize it. Actually help turn the ship. Yeah? When, we are, um, when we take a consumer role as opposed to a producer role as young people, it's too easy to slip into a critical role. Yeah. I remember being on a volleyball team in college. <clears throat> and man, there was one team that was crushing us. Oh, it was terrible. And it wasn't like the sidelines. So I, I wasn't a starter. I'm not that tall. But I got skills. I still got skills. <laughs> Anyways, so being on the bench, I was like, oh man, you know, I'm trying to yell out like 
hey, try this. I was trying to yell out con- constructive criticism. But the rest of the bench wasn't so constructive with their criticism. <laughs> and so I just remember being so like, oh, man, we are to- we're two sets down. And, you know, it's the best out of five. We're just like, oh, this is terrible. You know, what, what's going on? And I just remember being sent in as a sub. And I'm trying to, you know, <laughs> bump these things back. And I, oh, man, this is terrible. No wonder we were getting crushed. And all this yelling going on from the sidelines still. Very not constructive. You know, just, just ton, tons of put downs and, and very critical. No, no yelling and cheering. And, and it's just so easy to criticize from the sidelines. So easy to, to criticize the Broncos when, when you're not on the field, too, okay? It's so easy to criticize when you're not in the trenches. You're just watching, wishing that something would change, but not doing anything about it. So, youngers, be present, but also be a producer. Because if we, if we slip into consumer, we also slip into uh, critics, too. All right, so be present, be a producer, and the last one here for youngers, be appreciative, be appreciative. I remember, um, <clears throat> you know, having this kind of experience, but uh, I, I heard it from a young adult myself. It was probably more than, more than four or five years ago uh, where I was. But the person said this, I was the youngest person at church, so I decided to go somewhere else. <laughs> I was the youngest one there. This was a young adult. I was the youngest one there. Obviously, they're not the youngest one there. There's probably, you know, 12-year-olds, 15-year-olds, whatever. But this person felt, perceived, that he or she was the youngest person there, so they would go somewhere else. As if, just because I'm the youngest person there, there's nothing for me. Okay. Man, when you are in the midst of those who are more seasoned and experienced, this is a word to the youngers, when you are surrounded by people who have more seasons and experience under their belt, be appreciative. Be appreciative. Why? Because there is a wealth of wisdom there that you and I can always learn from. We need to realize that the crowd of peers that we long to be with cannot give us the depth of wisdom that comes from life experience of older generations. Being, being surrounded by your peer group is great, but it's not always going to lift you to the next level. So be appreciative. Realize this, that, uh, that this, is, this is probably the one case in which it's okay to be a consumer. <laughs> Consuming from the wisdom of those around you. With these three practices, simply this, be present, be a producer, be appreciative of the seasons and the years around you. I think, youngers, you'll find yourself meaningfully engaged in a way that you are in the thick of a faith community rather than on the fringes of it. Yeah? So when you're present, be present on purpose. When you're a producer, don't, don't slip into the consumer role. Be appreciative of those around you so that even if you are overcome by sleep, you're not so far on the edges that if you do slumber, you're still surrounded by intergenerational community. You follow? Yeah? I hope that makes sense. I hope that makes sense. So in summary, you know, Acts 20, verse 12, it's the picture that we all want to see, that the boy, the young man, is led off alive, and the church is full of life itself. I think this is a picture we all want to see repeated over and over and over again. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, I think none of us plans and says, you know what, our church should drop off 43% of our, our young adults. No, 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 come on. We don't, we don't think like that. We don't plan like that. So then let's plan otherwise. Let's plan otherwise. What can we do about this? As olders, be involved. 
Be intentional. Be interested. As youngers, be present. Be a producer. Be appreciative. So what can we do? What can you do about this? Maybe there's a younger. Maybe you're thinking to yourself, you know what? Take a look around. (laughs) Maybe there's a younger that God is bringing to your mind right now. Go ahead. Take the initiative. Be incarnational. Make the gospel move you towards them. Go down. Go down. Maybe there's a younger that's right in your household. Maybe there's a younger right next to you in your pew. (laughs) Or maybe you are in the position where you're actually fending off spiritual slumber. You're a younger yourself, and, and you want to move away from the window, from the fringes of God's church. I would encourage you, and be present on purpose. Be a producer and be appreciative of those around you. And friends, I I believe that when we do this, we're going to experience generational heart turn. (laughs) So simple appeal. How many of you want a a heart that is turned to the other generations around you today? Yeah? Amen. Amen. I want to pray for this. And, um, you know, I don't know what practically you're going to do as a result, but I pray that as we do, our church would come to life as a result. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we are thankful that you have given us opportunities to be in community, not just as a side note to our discipleship journey, but as an integral part of our following of Jesus. And so, Lord, each one of us wants to follow you. Sometimes we're just not aware that following you uh, requires these kinds of intergenerational relationships. And so I pray, Lord, that you would do it. You know, we're going to be able to host a young adult rally here next Sabbath. I pray, Father, that, that our church family would be the kind of place that is a safe haven for those who feel like they are on the fringes, on the window seat, as if that's the only seat reserved for them. Father, I pray for young adults in this area. I pray for the young, young people in our midst, uh, even the very, very young. And I ask, Father, that they would have the assurance that they are a valued member of this community. Oh, Lord, I pray that this would be more than just nice words that are spoken, but that this would be part of our DNA, how we interact, how we move forward. I thank you, Father, that this is your desire. This is a prophecy that you have pictured for us. And so our simple prayer is, go ahead, fulfill your will on earth as it is in heaven. We pray this in Jesus' saving and powerful name. Let the intergenerational families say, Amen and Amen.